Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. This, uh, yesterday, uh, I, I, went, I went for a little, a little, um, a little ride. Um, our son, he has a, uh, for college, he has a, for when he's going to college, he has a electric scooter. One of those that, you know, you kind of stand on like that. And, and, it, and it has about a 20 mile range and it'll go about, about 20 miles an hour at, fa- as, at its fastest. And so I rode from my house on the canal and then down kind of the Virginia corridor and then to the Virginia trail and, and kind of downtown. And, and it, was, it, was, it was super fun um, just kind of doing that. I hadn't done that before. But it's interesting because this, this scooter, it's got about a 20 mile range. And you know, so you can, if you, if you kind of just are constantly riding on it at full power, you know, you've got maybe, maybe a couple hours um, depending on how, and, and how far you go and, and depending on how far, far you go. But, but yesterday I went, I went pretty far and uh, started with a charged battery and then and, and got, got pretty low, but, but you know, went, went probably close to 20 miles. And it's interesting because then you take the battery off and you plug the battery in and you charge the battery and the, uh, the battery takes about nine, 10 hours to charge it all the way. It's interesting to me that the preparation for a couple hours of activity is multiple hours of preparation and charge for that activity. And and one of the reasons we are talking about intimacy with Jesus and the pursuit of intimacy with Jesus is that in a lot of ways, we think backwards. And, And we do a little bit of preparation for a lot of activity when it comes to doing things for Jesus. Oftentimes we think a little bit of prayer or a little bit of preparation and then we go a long time with doing things. And I think in a lot of ways, God has designed us that we're kind of like that scooter where if we're going to go and and do for Jesus a couple hours of work, we need to spend a ton of time in pursuing intimacy with Jesus. And it can't be flipped around. And, 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 and I think our culture, and I wouldn't even include our Christian culture, we tend to believe that, like the, that, that influence is the most important thing. Influence is the most important thing. And, and that a loss of influence or, or the perceived impact of that loss is more important for us than the invitation for greater intimacy with God. And so oftentimes when it comes to the either or decision of influence or intimacy, I only have this much time, am I gonna spend that time in a quiet place with God, feeling like I'm not doing much, or am I gonna go out and be influential? We tend to, we're led to choose influence, and at that point I believe we're out of alignment with Jesus. We're, we're, we're so run and, and, and compelled to do things that we forget what God has called us to be and that being takes a lot more time than doing. That that preparation for that work that God has called us to 
is paramount. And so if my own destiny dominates my thinking, like what am I gonna do? What is my legacy gonna be? What am I gonna make of my life? I will then make decisions that preserve my life, my business, my ministry, my future. And this is not the way of the cross nor the path to life. You see, here's, here's if you look at the Bible as a whole and you look at the biblical narrative, the biblical narrative leads us to a God who wants intimacy with us and our destiny is to follow his pathway of surrender, living out a foretaste or a sign of his kingdom. See, if, if you can boil the, the, the Bible down to one thing, it is not our activity. It is our relationship. The Bible is a story of God who wants a relationship that is deeply personal with you and with me. That's the story of the Bible. And the way God gets that is he has to deal with sin. He has to deal with our separation. And he has to pay dearly for it. But the Bible is a story about a God who wants intimacy with humanity. And, and so here's the thing that, 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 I, that I want us to understand because we sometimes are so driven by the things that we see in the world around us and we, have, and we, and we feel like we gotta do something and, and, and oftentimes I think we go out and do something without preparing. And oftentimes we do it not in the spirit of Jesus, in the character of Jesus, but we do it in a panicked sense. And so bottom line, I want you to understand this, that that the kingdom that we are a foretaste of, what Jesus wants us to represent by becoming transformed and like him and being intimate with him. See, this unshakable kingdom, governed by this unchanging king, seated on this immutable throne, is the source of our confidence and our perseverance and our hope and our joy. Knowing that, Holy Spirit, help me help us to choose intimacy with Jesus over influence in this lifetime every time. Because it is only through our relationship with Jesus that we will have impact for his kingdom that he wants us to have. And so that's why we're spending a decent amount of time going back and looking at how does Jesus describe us becoming more intimate with him? How does Jesus define our relationship with him and how we grow deeper with him? So in the last few weeks, we've, we've talked about meditation on God's word as a pathway to intimacy. We've talked, about, we've talked about giving as a pathway toward intimacy that Jesus gives us. And this morning, we start to talk about prayer as a pathway towards intimacy. You see, prayer, what it does is it breaks the power of loneliness and isolation and self-sufficiency in our lives. It results in an abiding confidence, not in me, but in Christ. And, and so prayer is one of these, in fact, prayer is probably the thing that we think of most when we think of getting to know Jesus better. It's not the only thing, but it's one of, of, of a handful of things that Jesus describes to grow closer. And so this morning, what I wanna do is, is kind of develop a little bit, a, a theology of prayer. And really what prayers, because so often we, we, we think about, okay, well, what is prayer? Prayer is, 
asking God for things. Prayer is talking to God. Prayer is listening to God. Prayer is, prayer is voicing our, our thoughts to God. Prayer is all of these things. But, but there are some things that are foundational in prayer that define prayer as we pursue Jesus through prayer. And so the first thing I wanna do is kind of do a, a quick kind of biblical survey of, of, of what, what does prayer look like as it has been exhibited through, through the Bible. And so starting even in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter four, um, we, we, get, we get in Genesis three, we, we have the fall and, and disobedience to God's, to God's, God's word to Adam and Eve, and, and in Genesis four, we, we run into the kind of the first murder where, where Cain kills Abel, and, and after that, God, God gives uh, Adam and Eve another son. And in Genesis four, there's, there's this interesting statement, and it catches up with, with the, the, the narrative of, of Eve, uh, excited that God, God brought her to bear another son. They named him Seth. And then, and then it says, and then it kind of goes to this lineage, but then it says this, in, in Genesis 4.26, there's a statement that says, at that time, shortly thereafter, humanity was kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and, 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 and mankind's relationship with God was all of a sudden separated. It says, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. At that time, people realized that they needed to call out to God. They realized that they needed a relationship with God. And so they began to cry out to God. In Exodus chapter two, we fast forward to where Israel is in slavery in Egypt. And, and the text says in Exodus two, verse 23, it says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. And listen to this. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. There's something interesting there that, that it says God remembered his covenant with the people. And what you'll see as you, as you see context in the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, there is a foundational piece of prayer that defines prayer as something that is anchored in the covenant and promises of God. Prayer isn't wishful thinking. It's based on something absolute, which is the promise of God, the covenant that God has made with, with humankind. And then jumping forward into, into Numbers chapter 14, uh, the Israelites are, God has delivered them from, from Egypt and they're, they're wandering and, and they're making a mess of things. And so God finally says, okay, that's it. No more disobedience, I'm gonna destroy Israel. And Moses, God's servant, comes to God and he says, God, wait a second. I don't think you wanna destroy all of Israel. And so this is what he says. He says, now if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who, you, who have heard of your fame and your covenant will say it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore he covenanted to give to them that he has to kill them in the wilderness. And now please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation. Moses prays, and his prayers anchored on the covenant that God made with Israel. 
He says, God, remember your covenant. God, remember that you have said you will forgive your people and you will bring your people to a place of life. In 1 Samuel chapter two, we catch up with a woman named Hannah who, who, her, who her, her, her desire in life is to have a child. And, her, and it says that she was barren. And so in, 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 the, in the first 10 verses of, of 1 Samuel chapter two, it records Hannah's prayer to God. And it's interesting that as she prays, her prayers, she's praying that God would, would cause her to have a child, have a son. And what's interesting is that we think about that. We think, well, you know, so there'd be a pretty specific prayer, but, but listen to the, even the words that she uses in that prayer. As she prays to God we, in, in verse one, but then in verse nine, she says, and he will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces against them. He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. In other words, she's praying on the promises of God that he says that I will make things right. Even as she's asking something very specific, she, continues, she anchors her prayer on God's covenant. And we see that again in Daniel chapter nine. Daniel prays to God and he says, I pray to the Lord my God and make confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Later in Nehemiah chapter nine, Nehemiah says, you are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and you made with him the covenant to give the offspring the land of Canaan. And, and so again, we see in that context, it is about the covenantial relationship of God, which is the, is the bottom line, the foundation of prayer. We've got the Psalms, which we don't have time to go into, but, but, but so many of those King David writes, and, and these are prayers to God of, of every flavor, of disappointment, of anger, of, of crying out, of express, incredible joy and celebration of gratitude, all of these things. In fact, in the Psalms, David doesn't just pray, but David describes himself as I am prayer. <laughs> David isn't just one who prays, he is prayer. And, 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 and so really what we see throughout the Old Testament, that the theme that we see building in reference to prayer and the nature of prayer is that prayer is gospel anchored and escalated eschatologically focused. What I mean by that is that, every, that the prayer, the very foundation of prayer is that it is anchored in the gospel, the promise of the Messiah, the promise of Jesus, and it looks forward to the return of the Messiah when he makes all things right. The gospel and eschatology, the, the, the good news and the end of all things when God makes things right. All the prayers, all the, the, the fabric, the foundation of prayer is that we pray anchored in the gospel, looking forward to the return of Christ. And we see that in the New Testament as well. The New Testament is in the same pattern. 
that the prayers that we see in the New Testament are all, now in the New Testament, they're looking back at the advent of the gospel, the coming of Christ, the Messiah, and they look forward to the return of Christ. Regardless of what we're praying for, that's the definition, that is the character of prayer. And it's interesting how easily we can take parts of scripture and pull them out of context and, and then kind of do what we want with them. Like, like John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says this. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's easy if you just look at those two verses to say, okay, so really, prayer is just me asking for whatever I want and God has to do it, as long as I say in the name of Jesus. <laughs> but the context of what Jesus says there it is in the context of accomplishing the mission that God has for humanity and that the world may know and believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the gospel personified. And so when he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, he's saying that when you pray and ask, anchored in the gospel, looking forward to the return of Christ, then whatever you ask with that character, with that desire, then I will act because I act according to my covenant and my promises and I will come through every single time. You see, see prayer or, or asking God for things is done relationally and missionally. It is according to what God is going to do and what God has promised to do. Prayer is the alignment of myself with God's heart towards God's will. Prayer brings intimacy with God and alignment with his mission that he's called us to. Again, it's gospel-centered. It's based on, on the work of Christ, the forgiveness of sins, the redeeming of the lost, and it is eschatologically focused to the full arrival of the kingdom at the return of Christ, the second coming. So when we pray, we are setting ourselves and building our lives on the promises that God made, some of which he's already fulfilled, some of which he is yet to fulfill. It's interesting because there will come an end to prayer. <laughs> you ever thought about that? there will come a point where we no longer pray because we will be in the presence of Jesus Christ and God the Father. In Revelation 21, starting in verse 22, listen to what, what Jesus reveals to, to John. John says, and I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And this city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates, gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. there will, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. See, prayer ceases when our relationship with God is fully and finally realized. Where they're present, completely in tune with God. 
See, prayer is real talk with the real God about our relationship with him and cooperating in his purposes. And, 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 and so, and so we, we, we see that if that's the foundation, if that's what prayer is, then Jesus then talks to us about how we go about praying. And so in Matthew chapter six, where we've kind of, kind of uh, based ourselves in this series, Matthew chapter six, Jesus says actually the same thing about prayer as he does about giving. Remember a, a, a few weeks ago, we were in Matthew chapter six, in the first part of that chapter, and Jesus talked about, don't be like the hypocrites who give and get noticed by men. He said, but be focused on your father and let him reward you because, because don't, if you get rewarded by people because they're impressed with your giving, then you don't get a reward from God, which again is relational. You get the relationships with people, whether they, they're impressed by you or annoyed by you or, or angered by you. Jesus takes the same exact route with prayer. Look in, in verse five, he says, and when you pray, the assumption is that you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Again, what is that reward? It's their scene and people are impressed. It's a relational reward. It says they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father who knows, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So again, Jesus is same as he talked about giving, that prayer is a relational context. It is not a transactional thing. It's not that if I pray the right things, then I'll get this. It's the development of a relationship with Jesus himself. And so in that same context, it's who are you focusing on in prayer? It's interesting that, that, that sometimes when, when maybe I, I pray or, or you hear someone pray or, or you pray, if you actually thought about the words that you used, who's the prayer focused on? Is it focused on you or is it focused on God? So often I think our prayers can be very easily focused on ourselves or, or sometimes what Jesus is talking about, the, the need to be an impressive prayer. <laughs> Someone who wants people to, to know that they pray a lot and, and, and they get kind of accolades from people because of how spiritual they are. And so Jesus says, do we pray to be religious or to impress people or do we pray to commune with God? Kind of like, David, are, are, are we, are, are, do we pray or, or are we prayer? Is that, is that, a, is that just a significant piece of, of, of who we are? Does that define us? And again, we talk about the reward and in Luke chapter 18, Jesus, Jesus tells a story about a Pharisee and a, and, a, and, a, and a sinful man. And as he describes, as he talks about the Pharisee who prays and he says, thank God that I'm not like these sinners and I don't do these terrible things, that I do all these good things that I give and, I, and, I, and I'm righteous. Thank God that that's me. And then the sinful man says, God, forgive me a sinner. Have mercy on me, 
a sinner. And Jesus says in that context that, 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 that the man who prayed these impressive things and was so impressed with himself, maybe other people will be impressed with him, but that's his reward, that people will maybe think well of him. But, but the, the, the sinful man who prayed and threw himself on the mercy of God, he gets intimacy with Jesus because that's who he's seeking. He's not seeking others, he's seeking Jesus. And so Jesus goes on and he says, so don't pray like the hypocrites, but he says, go in secret and pray so you're not tempted to impress anyone. Now that doesn't mean, that's similar to where Jesus says about giving, he says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, and we know that's not possible because our hands are always in tune with things that they're doing. But, but what Jesus says there is that that's, that's he's saying it so further so to say, look, don't, don't do it for, for, for other people's acclaim or recognition. And in the same way, he says, go in private. Because you see, we do see lots of examples in, in the Bible of public prayer. And God calls us to come together to pray publicly and together corporately. In John 11, we see Jesus praying publicly. In Acts 3, we see the apostles praying publicly. In Acts 12, we see the early church gathering and praying together publicly. But we also see in, in Mark 1, Jesus praying in private. Jesus had this knack for disappearing for long, for many hours, and the disciples didn't know where he was, and he was praying. And one of my favorite moments between Jesus and the disciples is, is where the disciples are frantically looking for Jesus early in the morning, because they're in this town, and there's this lineup of people, because Jesus had the day before had been healing people and seeing people, and, and the people who didn't get seen yesterday show up at this house, and there's just this mass of people, and no one can find Jesus. Finally, I think Peter finds Jesus, and he says, we've been looking all over for you, and Jesus says, I've been praying. I've been with my father. And he says, well, good, finally you're here, so we need to go because there's people lining up. And Jesus actually at that point says, no, we're actually going to the next town because that's where I'm needed. And again, it's interesting that Jesus did ministry, but he also charged up. He spent more of his ministry communing with his father than he did healing and teaching and doing miracles. Because most nights, I don't know how Jesus got sleep. That's probably why he fell asleep in a boat in a storm. Because if you spend all night, most of your nights praying, there's moments that you'll fall asleep. <laughs> but Jesus spent so much time, kind of like the battery in the scooter, more time preparing for, in private preparing for public ministry. We see Elisha prayed in private, Daniel prayed in private, but really the question that I think Jesus is setting before us is, do I pray with the intent to know God better and to be known by God? Or is it about something else? That means it's honest, candid prayer. That means it's prayer that's, that's authentic. If you're mad about something God allowed to happen, then that's prayer. <laughs> if you're excited about something that, that God did, that's prayer. If you have no strength left and you're grieving about something that happened and you don't know how God could actually see you in that moment, that's prayer. And God's desire is to meet you in that moment. See, prayer can't be reduced to something we just need to do 
kind of a moralistic reduction. Prayer preserves the flame on the inside. It feeds us. It helps us to know God better. And I love how Jesus touches on this. He says in verse seven, he says, don't be like the Gentiles who think their many words will get God's attention. Because you see, the pagans who, who worshiped and followed false gods, they, they, actually, they actually lived in this practice of needing to get the gods' attention. Because the gods didn't pay attention to humanity unless they wanted to use them, abuse them, or be entertained by them. That was the thinking. And, and so they had to, with many impressive words or acts, get the gods' attention so that they would hear them. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't think like that. Don't let that thinking creep in about your father. He says, because don't be like them because God is eager to hear us because his goal is intimacy with us. What that means is that God is always focused on us. We never have to get his attention. We never have to use a bunch of words to, 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 to get him to turn and look towards us. Paul says in Philippians 4, in, in verse 6 and 7, he says, do not be anxious about anything, which would have characterized the pagans' pursuit of God, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isaiah says something very similar in Isaiah 26. He says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord is an everlasting rock. Again, we don't have to get God's attention. And Jesus says, so don't, be like that. Just recognize God is always watching you. He's always there. He's always paying attention. You don't have to work for his attention. All you have to do is recognize it. And, and so Jesus, Jesus again gives us this thing. There's an assumption that we pray. And he says, I expect that, that you'll be praying. And, and, and so and he says, and, and God loves you. He knows you. And, and what I love is, is that, is that it, it, it is so cool that, that God even knows what we're gonna pray before we pray. Why? Not because prayer is worthless, but because God wants so deeply intimacy with us. And he knows us so well. So I think what's interesting about the disciples they ask a question of Jesus during his ministry. In, in Luke chapter 11, verse one, it's right before Jesus in the Luke account of the Lord's prayer. But the disciples ask him a question. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place which disciples saw over and over again. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. They ask him this question. They say, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, bear in mind that they've been with Jesus for somewhere in this three and a half years. They've seen him pray over and over again. But there's something about the prayer life of Jesus that causes them to say, Jesus, teach us to pray. 
They witnessed every message, every miracle, every healing, every deliverance, and every demonstration of divine power that Jesus manifested. But the question the disciples asked Jesus is, teach us how to pray. You see, it said, Jesus, teach us to pray like you pray. Jesus demonstrated his complete surrender, dependence, and confidence on the Father, and this was compelling to his disciples. It stood out. Again, our time of preparation for whatever God wants us to do, the assignment that God gives us, should be far more than the time it takes to do the assignment. We, we, we have to recognize that because that's where the intimacy with Jesus comes from. That's where the ability to carry out what we're called to carry out. We may be called to stand up to some egregious evil, but I guarantee you we will stand up in the wrong way if we have not spent more time seeking Jesus and intimacy before we stand up. We'll get it wrong. We'll do it in the wrong manner. And I think it's, it's so much that we've, we've kind of bought into our, our worldly teaching that it's, it's the thing you do that matters, not the character from which it comes from. I mean, just look at politics. Character does not matter at all as long as the right policies are made. I don't know of many politicians that have good character. In fact, I would say there's very few. But there's a lot of politicians that Christians defend and say, well, I know, but, but they made the right decision. That's nowhere in scripture. <laughs> You can't find that in scripture. And so we buy into that and we think, well, as long as I'm doing these good things, maybe I don't have time to spend as, as much time with Jesus, filling up. Jesus spent more time with his father than he did doing ministry. Jesus didn't do anything until he was 30 years old. What do you think Jesus was doing for the first 30 years of his life. He was developing intimacy with his father. And even during those three years of ministry, Jesus spent probably half the time in private. Ian Bounds, a scholar, pastor, theologian, says it was worth a trip from heaven to earth to teach people to pray. Jesus made a trip to earth for far more than that, but that's part of it. You see, the disciples and we see Jesus communing prayer. We see his agonizing prayer. We see his joyful prayer, his grieving prayer, his faith-filled prayer, his confident prayer, his weeping prayer, his silent prayer, and his loud prayer. Jesus gives us a an environment of prayer on all occasions. And God loves for us to come to him no matter what. Whether we're joyful or agonizing, whether we're weeping or we're faith-filled, 
You see, prayer was not a religious activity for Jesus' success, but it was where Jesus lived. In some ways, we need to stop thinking about going, that, thinking that we go to a prayer meeting and just be the prayer meeting. <laughs> we need to be prayer, not go pray. That, that's, that's, that's what we can be. See, we need, we need an unbroken communion with God, and prayer is one of those things that can be that. See, Jesus' public life of ministry was a result of his private life of prayer. Period. Which brought me to this question for myself. What if my public success was directly linked to my private prayer? What if my public success could not be any more than what I spend in private prayer? What about you? What if your public impact was directly correlated with the amount of time you spend in private prayer? You see, the disciples watched Jesus, they heard him, and they were provoked by him. The disciples were provoked toward a desire for the prayer life of Jesus. They wanted to pray like Jesus. They wanted to, to, to know the Father like Jesus. And so they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Do my prayers provoke others to pray? <laughs> have you ever been around someone whose prayers have provoked you to be more in prayer? I've been around a few people who they're praying, listening to them pray, and it's not that they're trying to impress me or anything else, but listening to them pray provokes me. And when I say provoke, I mean it is sometimes an embarrassment, an excitement, uh, a, a, a drive to pray. I was joking with somebody after the first service and they said, you know, you could have just gone up and just prayed for an hour. And I said, I'm not James Hankins. <laughs> if you know James Hankins, he's part of our church. He's one of the most humble, sincerest, provoking prayers I've ever met. When he prays, I am provoked. <laughs> and there's other people in our church and that I've met over my life that provoke me towards prayer. Does your prayer life provoke others toward prayer? I think that's a sign of deep intimacy with Jesus. Because Jesus' prayer life provoked his disciples and others to prayer. As I close this morning, I wanna close by, by reading a, a prayer over us that was penned by John Wesley. And I want you to just take a moment and just let it sit and, and think about what this prayer is asking. Because it's a big thing. It, it, it is a threatening thing to pray. Because prayer, again, is anchored in the covenant, in the promises, the gospel promise of God, 
and it looks forward to the, to the full, to the fulfillment of the kingdom when Jesus returns. And so our prayers are to help us be anchored in the promises of God, persevere in the presence of God, and have our hope in the return of Jesus. And so I wanna read and, and kind of pray this over you. It's called the covenant prayer. Jesus, I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. Praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, a wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth let it also be made in heaven. And so Jesus, I ask that you would help us to live that. That we would recognize we are fully owned by you And that whatever we face, we have you to face it with. I pray that our lives would provoke people to prayer. God, it's so easy for my life to provoke people, but not to prayer. God, it is not that difficult for me to make someone happy, to make someone angry, to frustrate someone, to encourage someone. God, I pray my life would make people pray. And so Father, this morning as we have gathered and celebrated and sang I pray that we would go out and God, that we would take an inventory in our own lives. That maybe even some of us might need to stop doing because we haven't spent enough time filling up. God, we know that you will make everything right. You've already conquered. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord and King. 
and you choose to use us in that process. But God, may we never neglect pursuing you intimately for the sake of doing things for you. That God, sometimes that you would just shut our mouths so that we can better do your will. God, I pray that we would be a people that provoke others towards prayer. So God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Holy Spirit guiding us. And we, God, are so thankful for the salvation through the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. And God, we look forward to the return of Jesus. And we live in that boldness and confidence. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. 